Father, that is true. No other name, no other name under heaven by which we must be saved other than the name of Jesus Christ. No other name that is a shelter for us. No other name that is a strength for us. No other name that protects and defends. No other name that refreshes. Father, I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would refresh and strengthen and equip and convict and break and humble us in your presence right now. I pray that we would eagerly humble ourselves under your word. Say, God, you have a word for me this morning. Speak, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Your servant is listening. God, ditch our pride. I pray we'd be a people that just let it go and cast that on you and say, God, my life is about you. I want my life to be about what you say you want it to be about and how you want it to be. And Father, there's freedom there where the spirit of the Lord is. There's such freedom. God, there's such strengthening. There's such healing. And so Father, right now, say what you want to say. Guard my mouth from error, God, and have your way in your church. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Church, today we are continuing on in our second last message in the book of Acts. And we are continuing in our series right now called The Foundations of the Church, a study through Acts. And so we'll have this week and then next week, we're going to finish off in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 to 7. And then we're going to take a break for the summer in that. And we're going to jump into another series, which we'll announce in a family chat after the service. But right now, Acts chapter 6, Foundations of the Church, what the church is is and what the church is called to. What the church is and what the church is called to. So let's start to get this definition. I hope you've memorized it by now as we've been working it through this whole series based on what God's word says his church is to be. Greek word is ecclesia and it means this, the people of God living on mission for God in the power of God. The people of God living on mission for God and in the power of God. And last week we looked at Acts chapter 4 verses 23 to 31 where we looked at the path of God's power in the church through prayer. And now this week we're looking at the outflow of that. If prayer is the pathway to God's power, what is the impact of God's power? As his people pray, what is the impact of his power on the church? What does a church look like that is living and moving and serving and on mission for God in his power? And it is this, radical generosity Radical generosity from Acts 4, verses 32 to 37. If you do not have a copy of God's word in front of you, just put your hand up right now. Our ushers are coming forward. We want to put a copy of God's word into your hand so you can follow along. This is a very important text, as is all of God's word. And so make sure you have a copy in front of you. And if you do not have a Bible at home, take that as our gift to you to encourage you to continue to study God's word on your own. 
The impact of God's power in the church, radical generosity. Now, now let's get some clarity. Generosity, according to dictionary.com, says this. Readiness or liberality, you'll see it on the screen. Readiness or liberality in giving. Readiness or liberality in giving. Let's, let's unpack that so we know what liberality means. It means willing to give in large amounts, freely or abundantly. Okay? So this is the, this is the world's definition of generosity. Readiness or liberality in giving. Now think about this for a second, church. If this is the world's standard of what generosity is to look like, how much more does Christ's standard call us to? If we are to be distinct from the world. Think about that. This is why the body of Christ living in the power of Christ is called to radical generosity. Because radical generosity is distinct from the world's idea of generosity. And we'll see that today. But... um, Would you agree with me, church, that generosity is easy to understand, but it's difficult to apply? Would you agree with me? Let's just call that out. Yeah, it is. It is. And so we were praying in leader's prayer before the service, and it just occurred to me that these five verses we're about to look at today are absolutely impossible to do without the power of Jesus Christ. It's impossible. It's completely impossible to live this way that God calls his church to live if we're not walking in the spirit of God. We can't do it. You might be able to try to white knuckle some generosity for a little bit. That's going to bail out. Your flesh is going to take you out on that. You can't live this way without the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's just put that on the table. Impossible mission. Okay? If tried on our own. And the problem is this, loved ones, we live in a world that is moving further and further away from true generosity. And more towards an idea, mentality of what's in it for me, or what's the catch mentality. Have you ever done that? You do an act of generosity for someone and they just kind of look at you, they don't know how to receive it. They're like, uh, and immediately they ask, what's the catch? Right? That's the mentality that we live in. Further and further away from from abundant generosity, radical generosity, where it's expecting nothing in return, and more towards what's in it for me, what's in it for you, what's the catch? I give to you, so I deserve to get something for me. It's this payback mentality, which actually isn't generosity at all, you negate biblical generosity when you expect payback. It's called the debtor's ethic. I owe you. No, true generosity is never you owe me. Sadly, this mindset is prevalent not only in the world, but in the church. Too much world in the church and not enough church in the world. Prevalent in the church as it is increasingly influenced by the world instead of Christ in how people give, how people serve, what people expect. It's increasingly prevalent as the world influences the church. But hear this, but the truth is this. You'll see it on the screen. A church that is growing in the power of Christ will be a church that is growing in its radical generosity for Christ. Big idea for today right there. A church that is growing in the power of Christ will be a church that is growing in its generosity for Christ. 
Radical generosity. Now, now, let's make something clear. Giving, the giving of the people in the church is not the source of growth of the church. You understand? Big time. Giving is the outflow of a life that is increasingly growing in its knowledge and application of the truth of God's word through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ alone builds his church, amen? Right? But this is the natural outflow of a life that's been redeemed. Make no mistake, to live on mission in the power of God is to be radically generous in our giving to God. And what we clearly see in our text today is the kind of radical generosity that Christ calls his church to, and that is the distinctive mark of his power at work within the church. Here it is, the distinctive mark. And we see two vital truths we must embrace if we are to be a church that grows in the power of Christ and lives out radical generosity for the glory of Christ to a world that is in desperate need of the message of Christ. Two vital truths we see right here. I'm so convicted through this this week in such a good way. Lord, shape our hearts this morning. Amen. Let's stand to honor the authority of God's word as we read verses 32 to 37. Acts chapter 4, starting at 32. They had everything in common. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy, listen to this, there was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, A Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Radical generosity. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, the first thing we see here is this, that to be a church that is radically generous for Christ, we must pursue unity in Christ. To be a church that is radically generous for Christ, we must pursue unity in Christ. If I could say this whole point in a sentence, narrow it down, it is this. A generous church is a unified church. A generous church is a unified church. Generosity always starts in the heart. And this is where God takes... You notice this? Jesus always goes for the heart. Always for the heart. Look at verse 32. We're going to camp out on this for a little bit longer because it's going to set the stage for the rest. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. All right, let's get some context. The believers have just faced their first persecution from the Jewish leaders, the Sanhedrin, the high council. Remember Peter and John standing in front of them And they're receiving this persecution for preaching in the name of Jesus Christ, who the Sanhedrin supposedly killed. And so it's giving them a really bad reputation that now these guys are preaching in Jesus' name and they're seeing these miracles. So he's like, shut them down. They cared so much about keeping their power. 
And in response, as we looked at last week, the believers, they don't pray for deliverance from persecution. Remember that? They're not praying, Lord, take out our enemies. No, 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 no. They pray for boldness to keep preaching in Jesus' name regardless of the persecution because they entrust themselves in the hands of a faithful creator, one who's sovereign, one who has authority. And in response to that prayer, the Holy Spirit comes and literally, I love this, literally rocks the house. Amen? He comes in, literally rocks the house. It's tottering. Remember that picture of what's happening in that room they're praying in? It's tottering because the power of God comes and the Holy Spirit fills them and they continue to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, which is the gospel. And now, now, so we see all this work that that God's doing through the church and it's out there, out there, into into the city, into the world. But now Luke takes a time out. Everyone say time out. Okay, we can do better. Everyone say time out. Very good. Luke takes a time out now from ministry happening through the church and gives us an intimate glimpse of what life inside the church is looking like and how the power of God's moving in it. All right, it's the huddle time. Luke's taking us into the huddle of the early church. And notice in verse 32 there, where it says they were, uh, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. You know what that means? The Greek there means united in the center of being, united in mind, united in attitude, united in mission, united in character. One mission, one desire, one affection for Jesus Christ, and one pursuit of his glory. Awesome. And here we see, notice this, it says the full number. It wasn't like, okay, so we got this pocket of really passionate people in the church, and then the rest of us just kind of do our thing. It says the full number. Hey, do you want to know what the full number was? It's over 10,000 at this point. Over 10,000 people with one heart and one soul and one mind. One mission. It's not that 2080 principle where 20% of the church is really fired up and doing, doing the work and then the other 80% are kind of sitting on the sideline. This is 100%. This is all in. That's what happens when the power of God comes into the life of a person and they're like, use me. Here it comes. I love this. One heart and soul. And they shared everything in common with one another. It is the God. You see why this is impossible? It is the gospel that unites them. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that has literally infected and invaded their hearts and is now transforming them from the inside out, giving them a unity of heart. Unity is so beautiful in God's house. Love it. And none of them said that anything they had, their time, that word anything, time, talent. A lot of us think generosity, we only think finances. That's part of it. But there's time, there's talents, our gifts, our abilities, our treasures that God has given us. None of them said any of those were their own, but was to be used for the good of others in the church. The attitude was literally, what's mine is yours. We are united in the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's mine is yours. Because why? Why could they do this? Why? Not if they're keeping it on a horizontal level, they won't. I earned this money. I worked for this. When we go vertical, all of a sudden you recognize that all was given from God and was to be used for God. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 7 says, What do you think you have that you did not receive? Sobering word right there. What do you think you have that wasn't given to you by God? 
And why did God give it? To see his church built up, to meet one another's needs. Now, now, clarity, time out again. This doesn't mean that all the believers lived in some commune, okay? Okay? Doesn't mean they all lived in some commune where no one owned anything of their own. Notice where it says, believe one heart and one soul, verse 32, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to them. See, so they still had their own possessions. They're not living in some commune in this, but they didn't live in a commune, they lived in community. They lived in community and took care of one another. They understood that all belonged to God, and when a brother or sister is in need, they were called to help meet it. That's the unity of the Holy Spirit. They were called to help meet the need. Someone needed childcare? Guess who was there? Not social services, the church. Someone having trouble making rent? Guess who was there? The church. Someone needed help? A single mom, widows? Oh, talk about, talk about God's heart for widows. So single mom needs help. Guess who was there? The church. Not programs. The church. The church is God's program for redemption in this world. Amen? I love how commentator Tony Marita puts it this way. He says, They had the same mind in that they understood what mattered. They were utterly committed to the same gospel of the risen Christ. They were one in heart, meaning that a great spirit of love permeated the church. Isn't that amazing? A great spirit of love permeated, saturated the church. What we see here is a radical practice of sharing. Every member, not just the wealthiest members, not just, well, you're the quote-unquote spiritually mature guy. Every member shares a common way of life. They share one another's burdens and joys. They share their time and their possessions. Okay, just stop for a sec. Ask ourselves the question. Let's be realistic. Is this what we see in the church today when we look across the landscape? Is this what we see? Just be honest. Because if we can't be honest about this, nothing changes. Is this what we see when we look in the church today? I think if we're honest, we're going to look, loved ones. This isn't a spirit of condemnation. This is a spirit of where things are at in reality. It's as this. Our, so often our mentality is it's my stuff. It's my abilities. My abilities will be used in my time and my way for my comfort when I feel like it. That's the mentality if we're honest with ourselves. Because that's where our flesh takes us. Notice how the Bible never says, he tells us, never tells us to love ourselves more. It assumes we're doing a great job. Do you understand that? The Bible, there's not one biblical command to love yourself more. Well, and then you say, well, what about Jesus where it says, Jesus, uh, love your neighbor as you love yourself. So if I love myself more, I'll love it. Nah, don't be a cop out. Come on. Okay? It never instructs us to love ourselves more. We're doing a great job of that. This is radical generosity. How would you feel? Live in the text. Put yourself in this text right now. You're one of the 10,000 plus believers in the early church. How would it feel in knowing you wake up every single morning that if ever a need arose in your home, if ever a need arose in your life that you were unable to fill or you needed support in, your brothers and sisters in Christ were right there to help you and support you. 
and, and you would do the same for them. How would that feel? How are we going to make rent this month? Who's going to look after my kids in this emergency? Our marriage is having problems. Who can we go to? Hey, hey, loved ones. How would that feel? Financially, materially, having provided, relationally, parentally. Like we just, that's why, hold on, Holy Spirit. This message was put into the preaching calendar a year ago on this Sunday. It was just, and you see that parentally coming alongside if we're struggling and parenting our kids maritally through service needs in the church. So I love child dedications where today. And this is the picture. This is the picture. How would that feel? This is the picture of the beautiful, unifying work of the gospel as God's people. This is the picture of the gospel at work. The impact of God's power in the church as people are filled with the Spirit and pursue unity with one another, what's the result? God will always have his blessing upon that. He will always bless the unity. You say, how do you know? You got something to back that up? Yeah, you bet I do. Psalm 133, just look at the whole psalm. It's all of, what, three verses? He says this, Behold how good and pleasant it is, when brothers dwell in unity, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing. Pretty clear. Pretty clear. There. God looks at his church all across this world. He looks at his church. His eyes roam to and fro. 2 Chronicles 16.9 says, looking for those who are faithful to carry out his will. He's, he's a church that's pursuing unity in Jesus Christ. He says, I'm there. He sees a church that is like, Lord, give us a greater love for you so we can love each other more. He's like, yes. God's blessing is upon the church that pursues unity in him. God always blesses and shows his power through unity in his church. Why? Why is this? Because unity in the church is the clearest picture of Jesus Christ in the church. You say, how do you know that? Look at the unity of the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit in perfect unity. And when God's church is pursuing unity, that's the greatest picture of Jesus Christ in the church. That's why he blesses it. That's why he shows his power through it. But here's the other side of that. Loved ones, unity doesn't just happen by accident you got to fight for unity. We need to pursue it. Pursuing, pursuing unity in the church. And this is why. Okay, so if this is going to be God's greatest blessing on a church, is a church that's walking in unity, here's the other side of that. This is why Satan works so hard to dismantle unity in the church. Because if he takes out if he strips the unity in the church, he strips the power from the church. If God's blessings on unity, Satan's going to work all out to dismantle it. If, if unity in the church, believers coming together as imperfect as we are, not living perfect lives, but when we sin against each other, we come together for reconciliation, pursue unity together. If that's happening, God's blessings on it, so Satan's going to take that avenue to remove it. Every time, every time, and you say, well, how do we pursue unity in Christ? What does, what does pursuing unity in Christ look like? You're going to write, write these four things down. Ready? 
This is, we go back to it every single time. How do we pursue unity in Christ? If it starts in the heart, here's four ways that we see. And this is just a snapshot. Everything else builds off these. Number one, pursue love for God and others more than love for self. Pursue a love for God and others more than a love for self. This is, you say, wait a second, that's a pretty heavy talk. This is the great commandment. This is part of this church's mission statement. Matthew 22, 37 to 39. See it on the screen. And he, that is Jesus, said to him, you shall, see the command? You're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ? You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. You know what's really cool when that happens? There's no room for self. All your heart is taken with an affection for the Lord. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The vertical always leads to the horizontal. Always. A growing love for God, God will see to it that you grow in love for your brothers and sisters every time. This is why people who say, I love God, I just don't love the church. It doesn't make sense, loved one. It doesn't make sense. Because if you're growing in your love for God, you're growing in your love for his bride. That's why the greatest prayer, hey, one of the greatest prayers you and I can pray as followers of Christ is this. Lord, help me to love you more. You want to see defeat of sin in your life by the Holy Spirit? Lord, help me to love you more. You want to see a heart of radical generosity burst out from you? Lord, help me to love you more. I'm pretty sure Jesus Christ was radical in his generosity towards us. Don't you think? He just purchased eternity. Lord, help me to love you more. And from that, <clears throat> how do we pursue unity? We pursue a love for God and others more than a love for self. And from that flows this. We pursue humility over pride. We pursue humility over pride. What is humility? C.S. Lewis quoted this and he said this. Humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. Yes, that is correct. Humility is a God before me, there's the vertical, you before me, there's the horizontal. Beautiful humility. That can, you can, I think you're starting to understand this can only come by the power of God. You can't manufacture humility in your own strength. Love for God, love for each other, pursuing humility over pride. Look at Philippians 2, 2 to 3. Love this. Complete my joy, Paul says, by being of the same mind. What's that? Unity. Unity of mind, there it is. Having the same love. Uh-oh, what's that? Unity of love. Being in full accord. Uh-oh, what's that? Unity of life. Unity of mind, unity of love, unity of life. There it is. Love it. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. That is pride. But in humility, consider others more significant than yourselves. Again, humility isn't getting up every morning and be like, man, I totally suck, I suck, I suck. No, that's not humility, bro. Here's the reality, though. It's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Considering others ahead of yourself. Practicing, pursuing humility over your agenda. Whose agenda are we walking on? Humbling ourselves under God's agenda or our own? Our desires. Well, I want to do this, and I want to hang on to this, and I want, I want things to go this way and, and this way, and I want to do this. 
humble yourself under the mighty hand of the Lord, loved one. Remember this picture of the waterfall? Living water always flows to the lowest place. Every time. God will not resist the humble heart, ever. He will resist the prideful one. Pursue humility over pride. And when we pursue a love for God and others, we four ways we grow in pursuing unity. Pursue a love for God and others more than self. That leads to pursuing humility over pride. And that leads to pursuing repentance over your reputation. Pursue repentance over reputation. Ephesians 4, 1 to 3 says this. I love this text. I therefore, Paul goes on to say, a prisoner for the Lord urge you see there's the charge i urge you it's not like when you get around to it maybe when it feels good for you he's like i urge you i urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called that is the gospel a life worthy of the gospel of jesus christ that bears his name with all humility here's how we live that out here's a life that's worthy of the calling humility gentleness with patience bearing one another in love Eager to maintain the, everyone say it together, unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Eager for it. Question, are you eager to maintain unity in the bond of peace with your brothers and sisters right now? Eagerness means initiative. Eagerness means I'm not going to wait for that person to come to me and, and then I'll do something. No, no, no. Eagerness means initiative. I'm not going to make a bunch of assumptions about someone. I'm going to take the initiative to get clarity with someone. Repentance over our reputations. See, when you're walking in humility, you actually don't care about your reputation. You care about God's. Pride cares about your own. What will people think of me? And will they do this? Humility always cares about God's reputation above your own. So let me just ask you a question. We're just going to camp right here for a moment. Where do you need to pursue repentance, loved ones? I was taken to the mat this week by the Lord, right in the middle of the library. Where do you need to pursue repentance with your brothers and sisters in Christ? A relationship that is strained. Something that you've done to sin against them hurt that you've caught. Where does that need to be pursued eagerly for reconciliation with them? That the power of God may move and not be grieved through that relationship in your life and in this church or wherever church you're from. Where is it? You know, and I was just sobered by this in walking through prep. Maybe it's, maybe it's you were impatient with someone in the church. Maybe you've been, you lashed out in anger with someone. Maybe you've been deceitful to a spouse. You've been deceitful to uh, someone else in this church. Or here's another one that rip, absolutely just, I was in tears this week. It just rips a church apart, and that is gossip. Gossip and slander, speaking maliciously about someone behind their back. Instead of biblically following what Jesus Christ has called us to, Matthew 18, and go to the person and talk with them. Don't talk behind their back. Gossip, here's what gossip does. Three things. It defiles you by speaking it. 
because that's not the spirit of God that is speaking it through you. It defiles the person that you're speaking to. They're getting defiled as they listen to it. And it defiles Christ's glory in his church because it devours unity. Hey, loved ones, this is why Proverbs says, a whisperer separates close friends. You think you're helping that relationship you're gossiping in? You're actually dividing yourself from that person by saying it. Hey. You say, well, how do I know if I'm gossiping? Here, here just, here's a, just a benchmark that I use. And even the devil can even twist this, but here's a benchmark to get us started. Is what I'm saying right now about this person, about God's church, is what I'm saying right now, leaving that person I'm speaking with, with a higher opinion of that person or Jesus Christ because of it. Use that as a starting benchmark. Because loved ones, Matthew 12, Jesus addresses this and he says, you and I are going to give an account for every careless word we speak. And it leads to our condemnation and judgment. Now I get, we've been redeemed in Jesus. I get, but we are going, what Jesus is saying there is we are going to be held accountable for every single careless word. That is so sobering for me. Hey, loved one. I don't know where people are at, but if you have been engaged in gossip, here, this is the most loving thing I can say to you. It's time to repent. It's time to repent get right before the Lord and get right with that person and see the unity of God established if you want to see his power and glory in your life and through this church. And if you're one who has been sitting listening to gossip, it's time to repent to the Lord for allowing that to continue instead of in loving correction saying, you know what, this is actually isn't honoring to the Lord. Let's pray about this and I encourage you to go talk to that person. This is why Satan works so hard because he knows the power that's available when God's people pursue unity together in his name. I've just seen it rip apart too many churches. Not on our watch, Lord. Not on our watch. So how do we pursue unity in Christ? Four ways. Pursue a love for God and others more than self. Pursue humility over pride. Pursue repentance over your reputation. And number four, pursue the glory of Christ and not the glory of self. That's what undermines all of this. The glory of Christ and not the glory of self. I love 2 Corinthians 4, 5 where Paul goes on to say, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. What we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. And I love this. With ourselves as your servants, you before me, in Jesus Christ. I'm not proclaiming myself. I'm proclaiming Jesus Christ. And I am your servant to see that happen. So ask yourself the question, who am I proclaiming in this word I'm about to speak? This, this torpedoes gossip to a whole other level. Who am I proclaiming in this word I'm about to speak? Who am I proclaiming in why I want to do what I feel like I'm going to do? Who am I proclaiming when I'm being impatient? God's glory or my own? So question, question, as we see that. 
Are you pursuing unity in Christ with your brothers and sisters? Simple question. Are you pursuing, not being like, well, they'll come to me. No, you take the initiative, eager. Are we pursuing unity with our brothers and sisters? If not, what area or areas need to be made right with the Lord or with others today to see his power through unity with them? Just look at that list. There's four things to get you started. Just look. Again, loved ones, not a spirit of condemnation, but through repentance, there's only comfort through Jesus Christ. And you might look at that list and be like, that is way too hard. Remember how I said it was impossible? Mission impossible? Here's the good news. Ready for some gospel truth? Right here, let this saturate. Write this down. I said it before. I'll say it a hundred times, a thousand times. Again, Lord willing, before I die. God will not command from you what he's first not willing to do in you. That is awesome gospel truth. You say, I need to walk in humility? Guess what? The power of the one who perfected humility, if you're in Jesus Christ, has given you the ability to walk in humility. God will not ask this from us if he's not first willing to do it in us. We can't white knuckle this stuff. And Jesus Christ came to earth as fully God and fully man and paid the penalty for our sin after living a perfect life of no sin and died on a cross and was buried in a tomb for three days. And three days later, he rose again, defeating sin and death for all time. Not so you, can, you and I could walk in pride, but to give us the power to walk in humility. To give us the strength to do what he calls us to do to live on mission. If we repent of our sin and confess him as our Lord and Savior. If he is not the focus, there is no loving God and loving others more than yourself. If he is not central in our life, there is no humility over pride. If he's not the center of our life, there is no kindness that leads you to repentance. You will always be more concerned of your reputation and if he is not the center of our life, there is no pursuing the glory of Jesus Christ over the glory of ourselves. And if you're here and you're like, you know, I've tried to pursue all these things on my own, my marriage has fallen apart and I know humility, If you're here and you've never confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, hear this today, loved ones. Hear this. He says, today when you hear my voice, don't harden your heart. Let today be the day of your salvation. It could start today. You don't got to clean yourself up. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Not because of your works. Not because of how good you are. God's like, I love you. I created you. I see all that stuff and I still want you. To be a church that is radically generous for Christ We must pursue unity in Christ. And through the unity that we have in Christ, here's our last point for today, loved ones. This is the beautiful outflow of unity. Watch this. Watch this. We must practice generosity through Christ. If I could say this whole section in a sentence, it's this. A generous church is an empowered church. A generous church is an empowered church. Verses 33 to 37, look at this. This is staggering. And with great power, there it is, no no question. Of course, God's gonna bless unity. There it is. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace. Of course, God's gonna give his grace to that church. And great grace was upon them all. There was not a need a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses, they sold them and 
brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Look at that. Look at that picture. We are now given, right here, picture of the impact of the power of Christ both within and through the church through the unified hearts of his people living generously towards one another a generous church is a united church and a generous church is an empowered church as a result and we see here clearly four outcomes four outcomes of where the power of God is seen or experience, and we're going to land the plane with these four things that God will show his glory through. The radical generosity of his people as they serve in his power for his glory. Ready? Four outcomes of practicing radical, radical generosity in the church. Here it is. Number one, God's power is seen through the church. God's power is seen through the church. Look at verse 33a. Now the full, sorry, sorry, sorry. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus The word power there, we should know this one. Here it is, ready? Everyone remember the Greek word for power? Ready? Dunamai. That's where we get the word dynamite from in today's language. Power, dunamai, it means this. Force, might, miraculous power, ability, energy to do marvelous works. Next time you see a stick of dynamite, you see it, just think, bam, Holy Spirit's over that. That's where that came from. Dynamai. No wonder Satan tries so hard to strip the unity. You think he wants this being unleashed on the world? Don't think so. This is why unity must be fought for, loved ones. We must pursue it, literally being filled with the Spirit of God and having the power and ability of God to perform in speaking his words and doing his deeds as his witnesses. And even though, even though, loved ones, the apostles had been warned not to preach the gospel, remember? They said, I'm warning you not to preach the name again. You're going to risk death. You're going to risk jail. All of this stuff again. Look at that. The Lord empowered them with a unified voice flowing from a unified heart and the kingdom of God continued to advance through them in the power of God. Gospel advancement is on the line. It is on the line. When God's spirit is not grieved, God's power will be given. Every time. When God's spirit is not grieved, God's power will be given. In your marriages, with your parenting, in this church, in the workplace, when God's spirit is not grieved, God's power, dunamai power, will be given and will be seen. I love how this just sums it up. You'll see it on the screen. God eagerly extends his hand of power to the church that eagerly extends their hearts and hands to him and one another. God eagerly extends his hand of power to the church that eagerly extends their hearts and hands to him and one another. Four outcomes of practicing radical generosity in the church. First one we see there is God's power through the church. Next, we see God's favor is given to the church. Look at 33 again. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and great grace was upon them all. Okay, Greek word there for grace means this. Favor, kindness from both God and man. Do you ever notice that? Notice that happens? 
when radical generosity is at work, people take notice. This school is an example of it. What's going on with them? I don't know what they, I want what they have. There's, look how much love is there. Look how much unit. They're not backstabbing. Distinction, loved ones. Favor God gives to the church that is in unity. The grace they were experiencing was not only coming from God, as if that wasn't enough, but was now coming from the non-believers around them who experienced their generosity firsthand and witnessed the unified love and generosity the believers shared with one another. You know, I was so blessed. I was so blessed by this. The other day, last week, I had a visitor come in here and he was like, I said, he came up after the service. I said, how was it? He goes, I don't know what's going on here. I said, what, what do you mean? He says, I honestly don't know what's going on. He goes, from the moment I walked in that parking lot to even right now, like there's just something so special in this church. I can't describe it, but I want it. Kids coming down the hall last week saying, I don't want to go home. I want to stay and harvest kids. I don't want to leave. Why is this? And how much more could we see it if all of us pursued in unity together in the power of God? Don't sever one another, loved ones. Serve one another. I love how Albert Moeller said this way. He says, Our great task is not to make evangelicalism credible, but to show that the gospel of Jesus Christ is beautiful. Yes. Great power and great grace. That's the mark of distinction of a church. Walking in the power of God with a unified heart. The unified beauty of the gospel is infectious to a world that is crying out for it. Every time. Four outcomes of practicing radical generosity in the church. One, we see the power of God through it. Two, we see God's favor is given to the church. And number three, needs are fulfilled in the church. Look at 34 and 35. Needs are fulfilled. There was not a needy person among them. For as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each as any had need. So the word needy there in verse 34 means this, poor or destitute. Okay? All right. There was not a needy, a poor person, a destitute person. This emphasized needs, not wants. It's like, hey, I feel like another car. Let me hook my brother up. No. It's like, hey, I'd like to go out for dinner six times this month instead of three. So I'm going to ask for some money. No. It was needs, not wants. Need to make rent this month? Okay. You need to do this this month? You need that practical help? Okay. In response to the increasing needs in the church, look at this, all the believers, notice this? All the believers, not just the leaders, quote unquote, or or in today, I I was just reading a book on this this week, it's so true. It's like the paid staff can do it all. What, 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 where's that? No, all the believers, it's a family. It is a unified body Working together, willingly, eagerly, selling their lands, houses, material possessions, and laying them at the apostles' feet, who were the leaders of the church, as they trusted them to distribute them faithfully and without partiality to ensure every need was fulfilled. It's not this mentality. Okay, I'll lay this down, but it's got to go to this. 
I'll lay this down, but it has to go to this person or this or the loved ones. It's just, what are the needs of the church? Here it is. Use it as you want and submit it to God's leading through it. We're not showing partiality to each other. Even in good desires, partiality can rear its ugly head. Lord, use it for your glory. I love this. Tony Meredith says this, commentator, he says this. When God's grace is at work, people get generous. Yes. When God's grace is at work, people get generous. Because it's not about themselves and what we want. Open hearts to Christ lead to open hands for Christ every single time. Open hearts to Christ lead to open hands for Christ every single time. So question, question, loved ones. What needs are around you that you can help to fill? Here in the church, maybe you know some brothers and sisters even outside of when we come corporately, that you can help fill and see the power and glory of God continue to be established in and through the church. How about our time and our talents? Let's just break this down. Maybe joining a small group and getting to know the needs of the people in the church around you. Maybe some of that. Maybe it's uh, joining a serving team. Like, hey, Harvest Kids, I almost wear my Harvest Kids shirt today. I just, and then I wore it yesterday and got it dirty. But here's the reality. Did you know, over the last few weeks, we've had almost 50 kids in Harvest Kids? Hey, hey, according to the CRA, the last few years, you know what the average church size is in Canada? 25 people. And there's 50 kids down the hall. The needs are great and growing. And God is entrusting us with the next generation. And that's just one glimpse, loved ones. Radical generosity. How about this? How about this? The treasure, the treasure, sacrificially giving financially for increased opportunities for ministry for the gospel. Seeing families, seeing marriages equipped, being able to train counselors to be able to help families and to to have youth ministry to be able to run this stuff so that kids can come under the teaching of God's word each week. Church planting with Daniel and Eric in Quebec, we had them here two weeks ago. All of these things, giving sacrificially and joyfully for that, seeing addictions broken. By God's grace to us, the needs are only continuing to grow. Don't take it for granted, church. The needs are growing in this church. These are good needs. These are good needs. Lastly is this. Four outcomes of practicing radical generosity in the church. Number one, you see the power of God through it. You see God's favor given to it. Needs are fulfilled in it. And lastly is this. Generosity is modeled to the church. Look at 36 and 37. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Okay, what's this? What's, this? what's going on? Barnabas was this, a Jewish priest, a Levite, from the island of Cyprus, who later became a leader in the church and a trusted associate of the apostle Paul on his ministry trips. Just start at Acts 13 and work your way. You see Barnabas all the time. And here, why does Luke point this guy out? Because here, Luke uses him as a role model for practicing generosity in the church and gives the other believers an example of what generosity in the church can look like. He uses Barnabas. And as we land this plane right now, I love the fact, I'm going to finish with this, I love the fact that today is our Harvest Family and Volunteer Appreciation Picnic. Why? 
because this church has an incredible team of faithful, humble, generous, caring, growing, gracious, glorifying, giving, passionate, loving volunteers that give their all for the glory of God week in and week out. Here's a snapshot. Set up and tear down team. Coming in early for setup and staying later for after teardown after everyone's long gone. There they are. Administration team. Making sure the serving schedule is clear, efficient, and up to date for our team so they can work with excellence. Following up with first time visitors each week. You have no idea how many times I call people and they're like, man, I can't believe I got an email. I can't believe I'm getting a phone call. Like, you actually talk. You walk the talk. How about this, our welcome ministry team? Filling communion cups in a kitchen. No one sees that. Ensuring the connection desk is stocked with supplies and tools and resources for you to keep growing throughout the week as a disciple of Christ. Being ready to welcome everyone who walks in that door. Running harvest essentials and party with the pastors. Our hospitality team, they're out there setting up right now for the picnic sacrificing hearing the rest of this so they can go do that, brings in food for our setup, teardown, and worship teams and production teams each week to care for them so they make sure they get lunch. How about this? Tellering team. Counting offering somewhere in this school where you will never see them. But hard at work doing it for God's glory. They'd like to be in the service too, but they're committed to God's glory first. How about this? Harvest kids, workers and teachers, studying hard in prayer and the word and learning worship songs. Can you just see them in their living rooms? Doing this, doing this. There's our kids team, amen? There's our kids team learning worship songs. So when your kids come into Harvest Kids, they see a man or woman who has been with Jesus and is ready to love them in his name. You don't think that's important? I was talking to a three-year-old this week. I like to check up on our Harvest Kids teachers. I said, tell me what you learned in preschool this week. He says, I learned all about communion. I said, tell me about it. Well, the bread's the symbol of Jesus Christ's body. The juice is the symbol of the blood that Jesus shed. But they're only symbols, Dad. They're only symbols. They're not the real thing. And he goes, I love Jesus. That's why we do what we do. That's why we pursue unity. That kid saw a man who's been with Jesus, who got on the floor with him and taught him the gospel. How about this? Our pre-service child care team comes in early to look after the children of our parent volunteers so their parents can prepare to serve on Sunday mornings with the teams. How about our worship team seeking the Lord and practicing throughout the week to ensure they're worshiping with excellence and making much of Jesus and not themselves? How about this? Our AV production team at the back comes in early on Sunday morning, sound checks everything, runs through worship or sermon slides to ensure none of it is a distraction to us meeting with Jesus each week in the service. 
you're hearing this right now, it's because the production team did their job. And Christ is being exalted. How about this? Our servant leadership team leading the ministries with sacrifice, humility, and dependency on the Lord. Meeting for prayer. Did you know that? They meet for prayer throughout the week. Guys meet once. Ladies meet another time to pray for all of you in the services each week. They just, it's just saturated that God would be glorified every time we meet. How about this? Our small group leaders shepherding their people through prayer, counseling, support, and the ministry of the word. Radical generosity. Each of these men and women is a role model to me. Hey, loved ones, you are a role model to me. No question. And to all of us of what practical acts of radical generosity look like in the life of a church. Never asking for a dime. Part of something bigger than themselves as they pursue unity in Christ together and practice generosity through Christ. I love how Ephesians 4, when I think of all this, I think of our teams right here. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 says this. Rather, speaking the truth in love. Notice, no gossip, no division, no negativity. Don't speak lies. Speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Radical generosity, loved ones. That's the call. Hey, can we just take this last moment here to thank big time all of our volunteers. And our children's team didn't hear that, so make sure you see people with a Harvest Kids shirt outside of the picnic, go thank them. Thank them for that. So last question. The Lord's building his church through the radical generosity of his people. Where will you step in to be a part of it? Let's pray. Father, I am so blessed and so encouraged right now in seeing your blueprint for your church. This isn't a yeah, but moment here. This isn't a yeah, that worked a long time ago. It won't work now. Yes, it works now. It works now. And Father, I ask in Jesus' name, because you haven't changed, your blueprint hasn't changed, and I pray that the power of God would stir us right now to radical generosity. Our time, our talents, our treasures. God, because nothing less than the power and glory of God, the favor of God is at stake. And so, Father, would you do this? And start with me. Start with me. God, where am I not walking in unity? Where am I not pursuing unity? God, may we take a heart check right now. Because this is what you promised to build your kingdom through. You're not going to change your plan. It's existed before the creation of the world. And I pray you'd see a church right here at Harvest Ottawa where people just humble themselves under that and say, I'm there. I'm all in. Help me, Lord. I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure how that's going to work out, but I trust you. You're going to give me the power and the strength and the ability to do what you're calling me to do. Build your kingdom here, Lord. Build it here. In Jesus' name, amen.